Hello and welcome to Deep Program with Carrie Smith. I am your host, Carrie. If you are new here, this is a brand new channel. So if the algorithm directed you here, uh, this is a new channel. Make sure you hit like and subscribe and do all the things. Uh, I'm very excited today because my, my guest is Mark Owsley. He is a choir director and an education advocate. And I brought him here today to continue the conversation uh, in a way to continue the conversation I was having with Deb Philman last week about the current state of education, about woke infiltration in, into the classroom and possible solutions for parents. So welcome, Mark. Hello. 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 Thanks. Thanks for having me here, Carrie. Thank you for telling me how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> owl like an owl. Owlsley yeah. like an owl. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's it. It's a, or Housley without an H, you know, whatever, as long as she's get it in there. It's kind of cool. So thanks. So for anyone who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you tell people just a little bit about yourself, where they can find you online and, and what it is that you do? Yeah. Um, I am a, first I'm a music educator. I've been teaching since, uh, 2009 and, and I'm certified and all of that. Um, but, uh, I've been at the university of Oklahoma for the past Five years, uh, four years. COVID messes with your mind in terms of time. Yes. But uh, um, graduate student doing a doctorate and faced uh, what was was president at OU during the kind of critical turn, uh, the big critical turn at OU that was public. Now it's been going on for really literally decades. But uh, uh, after that, but it, it's I, I kind of ran into this really earnestly and and a lot after. Uh, the George Floyd incident, and then my advocacy on behalf of uh, or, or against what's going on at the university that's trickling into schools began when our our mayor here, who just lost re-election yesterday, um, uh, defunded the police. Um, and so I got connected with the governor of Oklahoma and the secretary of state. I was the first person to really brief him on critical race theory here in Oklahoma. Um, and this is in the early, early 2021. And that led to a lot of work by a lot of great people to uh, pass the, the anti-CRT bill here, the House Bill 1775, and um, really have just been pounding the pavement trying to get people to understand what this is that, you know, this ideology and, and this whole postmodern Marxist cocktail has is the reason for defund the police yeah and and the goals of defund the police may not be exactly what they appear to be and and so um that's the truth with a lot of this ideology is it's i mean it is not what it appears to be it's not right. how it sells itself mm -hmm. well Can, it's not just how it sells itself but even the you think okay de de defund the police right that means they want less police i don't believe that was the goal they want just as many police. They just don't want them to be your police. They want them to be yeah. their police. And yeah. so that's that's kind of what I started telling the leaders here in Norman, you know, that, hey, it's not just about back the blue. That's great. We need to do that. But it's about cleansing all governmental institutions of any dissent. Mm -hmm. And defund the police was a way to do that. And you that's know? the way they're doing it. Yes. Yeah. So the... The goal of defund the police was not to make make there be less police. It wasn't. It wasn't to to say, okay, we want to have less security on the streets. It was to rid the most well funded, most powerful department of the city of people who disagree with, you know, the DEI ideology. Because that's the first thing they did after the defund the police vote was they used that to legitimize a DEI office in the police department and in the city, yes. which then all of your older police retired. All of the ones who really disagreed left, went to you know other departments or just left the profession altogether. Then she institutes a, a DEI office and they are involved in the hiring of the police that are coming in now. So it's a, it's a, I, I want to underline this for anyone listening, not just parents. This is how they do this step-by-step -step process. I'm in a group here in my little, my small little town, a uh, social justice group, and they are 
I don't know why they haven't kicked me out yet, but they, they are open about this. They have a step-by-step -step process. They start oftentimes by bringing in a DIE trainer. So they just say, we want to see if we have problems with systemic racism or sexism and homophobia. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring in a trainer who's going to do an evaluation of the city council or the school district or the school or the police. So they bring in the trainer first and they will say in this group I'm in, they're like, they say, we have to get the trainer in first. Then the trainer will recommend that we create a DEI committee because we have mm -hmm. so many problems. We have to deal with it. Then they create the committee. Now the committee is suddenly this, this ideological committee is suddenly running your school mm -hmm. district or your school or your police department or your city council. You can't let them bring that trainer in. This is the point of me saying this. That's yes. where it starts. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and, and if you see this, it's a, it's all of these are little incubators and test sites for Kendi's DOA, the department of anti-racism. That, that DOA is just a giant federal fourth branch DEI office. That's and and that's what the DEI office has become in every institution they enter. You see that at, at, at whether it's universities, businesses, uh cities, it, it doesn't matter. So what the if you if your listeners don't know Kendi uh wrote a, an article for Politico basically saying we need a fourth branch of government. That government needs to be the Department of Anti-Racism. It, it shall have no checks and balances. It, it shall overrule anything and fi can fire anybody and overrule any policy at any level. So that Incredible. is how DEI functions in every school or institution that it touches. And that's why my big push, especially for the last year and a half, has been defund DEI. Because it must be, especially when you're talking about schools, right? And you can see this directly at the University of Oklahoma. Um, it's It takes over all bureaucratic administrative apparatuses, not necessarily directly. It tries to, and, it, and it, the longer it's there, it will. But it's first institutes fear. And it says, if you dissent, we're going to find a way to get rid of you. And that's what's been happening with teachers all across Oklahoma still, even, even though we've passed the anti-CRT bill, because people in their minds have said, well, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, good. Critical race theory, bad, but DEI, good. And my message is no, there's DEI ideology, theory, and then there's praxis, D or CRT ideology, and then there's CRT praxis, which is DEI. Mm -hmm. It is the the division of ideological enforcement, is what I call it. And so, let's let's stop there for a second because this this comes this is coming up with parents all the time, and mm -hmm. it, this is in letters to the editor to even in my small town paper. There are people pushing this crap, who, as you know, they like to say well, CRT isn't in the classroom or DEI isn't in the classroom. Can you explain the difference between theory and praxis? Theory, I mean, uh, the theory of it is the, the philosophical undergirding, right? So it's, okay, here are our tenets, you know, and this is for anything really, but, but, but critical race theory has a specific theory and praxis. It says it, all of the scholars talk about it. And, you know, I'm not going to say this any better than James Lindsay or, or but, from a teacher standpoint, what that means, what they tell you to do in Oklahoma, um, Norman Public Schools, for example, she did a, uh, the there was a DEI, their DEI director did a online training during COVID, which is great because you can literally see everything that they're talking about. And what she says is that this is not optional and it can't be in addition to, it must be embedded in everything you do. And those are direct quotes. Mm -hmm. So, it's the understanding that, okay, the theory of, you know, it's basically power versus oppression or, you know, power and power and oppression. Uh, if you are oppressed and marginalized, you can, you are, you are to be artificially raised to positions of power. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and actually they, they outlined seven steps in this training in Norman public schools, which numbers, no, it's eight. And number seven is it requires people who are historically marginalized or, or historically oppressive group in an historically oppressive group to give up their position of power. 
for those otherwise historically marginalized. Now, that is the praxis, right? That's the work that they talk about. And and the theory is, I mean, it, it goes all the way back to you know the 60s and 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 right after and and but but this point though is is for parents i think um all you need to know about it is the theory would be them sitting down with your kindergartner yeah. and saying this is critical race theory let me teach you about it they're not doing that mm-hmm. what they're doing is worse they're doing yeah. praxis which is praxis is taking the theory and implementing it right. they are they are putting it in the classroom they're not even telling the kids this is CRT. That's even oh, worse. No. Well, you know? <laughs> and more importantly, they're not telling the parents it's CRT. But here's 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 ways they put it in praxis, right? Um, uh, at a, in Norman Public Schools, they have what they call equity walks. Okay, now this isn't like a privilege walk. This is direct enforcement and intimidation of teachers via the DEI committees and and really they're spies, they're teacher spies that that are in every school. And so what they do is they have these teachers walk around the school for their equity walk and check every teacher's walls, their materials, and their, you know, uh, lesson plans, but especially everything that's visible. And if there isn't enough critical race theory inspired decorations on the wall, Right. Then they will then practice telling, you know, they will they will then enforce that ideology by saying you need more of this, this and this in order to be, you know, not racist. And that's the that's the issue. I think. I call them the three pillars. There are three pillars of of critical race theory or the work. Let's just talk about because the praxis is the work as they talk about it. There's critical race theory, which is the ideology. That's the undergirding. There's anti-racism, which Kendi explicitly defines that in terms of public policy. Right? So when he says, you know, you either support uh, anti-racist policies as an anti-racist or you're a racist. That's your dichotomous choice. And that is predicated in your support of whatever policy he deems to be anti-racist. And that's usually a policy based around the redistribution of either wealth or materials and or power, right? To, to not even, and this is where it gets crazy or a little bit hard to understand, is it's really not about color or gender or anything like that. It's about what you think. You know, it's like, Nicole, right. It's a, that's where the theory is at, right? It's like, it, I, I talked about this on Twitter the uh, yesterday, you know, I think it was Politico that again, that came out and called uh, the, the Supreme court justice uh, Jackson Brown, uh, the first black uh, Supreme court justice, you know, and people are like, well, how could they get this wrong? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think they got it wrong. What, what they, they're intentionally lying to get the ignorant people who don't know history and to think that that's the case. So they're on the right side of history. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's also what Nicole Hannah Jones refers to as the black voice, which is the, yes. being politically black. And if you think of it through that lens, then the headline isn't false. It is, it is, it's true when it comes to the theory of what they're talking about, because she may be the first outwardly Marxist or identity Marxist CRT thinker on the court. That is, that's something they could make a case for. And so that's what's very difficult for parents to understand. And so what I've been trying to do is simplify it, mm-hmm. is if there is DEI, there is critical race theory, there's gender theory, there, there's mm-hmm. queer theory, there's all, and all of the things that embud around that. Yeah. And in order... And that's what I have been frustrated with, especially in in red states like Oklahoma, who's doing a great job. The governor's doing good things. Secretary of Education is doing good things. But they're hesitant to take on DEI. And they don't understand that if they don't, it's over. If they don't take it on directly and call it out for what it is and not be afraid to be called a racist, it's going to call you a racist eventually anyway. Yes. That's what you got to understand too. You're exactly right. So they, the way I've viewed it as what's happening is that 
because they hide behind all these different names and they'll come up with new names. They, they come up with new, I was in social justice for 20 years. They're always coining new terms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always redefining old terms. It's they, they control your thoughts by controlling the language and it's a tower of Babel. they, yes, it's tower babble. That's a great reference. They will continually come up with new terms if one becomes toxic for them. So for example, mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Rufo, James Lindsay, it, a lot of people have done a, a great job of of singling out the critical race theory and pointing out what's wrong with it to such a degree that it, they now consider that term toxic. So much so that they want to pretend like it's not in the schools. They want to get away from that mm-hmm. term. So now what do mm-hmm. they hide behind? DEI. It's the same mm-hmm. crap. You're, you're exactly right. It's the same crap. And if DEI, if we successfully turn that term toxic, which it should be because it is a toxic toxic ideology, they will go to another one. It's like they'll cu- keep coming up with new terms and the terms themselves, as you're saying, people shouldn't be afraid of them. They pick terms like, um, Mark, have you ever read George Lakoff's Don't Think of an Elephant? Do you know that book? <laughs> so this is a really short book. It, it was written by, uh, George Lakoff was a linguist and he wrote this book it was actually for leftists. He was on the left. He wrote it for leftists to better understand people on the right and how, how it is that they could discard facts if the facts don't fit with their belief system. His mm-hmm. blind spot was that that works the other way too. Yeah. And But his point, one of his points was that um, at the time when he wrote this, he felt, and maybe he was right, that people on the right were better at naming things, these Orwellian terms, so that you were afraid to oppose them. So like no child left behind, for example. Yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. who wants to oppose that? It's called no child left behind. And right. the left has gotten really great at that now. And so they'll name it diversity, inclusion, and equity because they know that you're afraid to oppose something like that. It sounds good. It sounds yes. good. Yes. Well, and and what and I'll tell you, I'm I'm a, a conservative leaning person, but I'm an independent and, and I see the same thing in, in here in Oklahoma when it comes to the school choice debate. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and just as an example of how it can be used still by the right to push something that's not necessarily what they're billing it to be. Now they aren't as overt and they won't explicitly lie about it. What they do is they have talking points. Most of the time it's like, here's school choice. Now school choice, we define it this way and it's only this bill and it has to be this bill. Otherwise you're against us. And that just smacks me in the face and goes, well, am I racist or anti-racist? I don't have an in between here, right? It's either school choice or anti-school choice. Well, if you're defining what school choice is, and it can only be as you define it. That leads me to believe that there's an ulterior motive here. And I need to look at the details, right? Because that's what we're missing is the nuance. And that's what language is, is nuance, right? In terms of context, right? You know, there and there and there and there, right? There are four different there's, but the context determines how you spell it, how you use it, all of those things. And that's what they weaponize, you know? Uh, and I, you're exactly right. But here is the, going back to, DEI and how they will change the name. Vivek Ramaswamy, if any of you read his book, Woke Inc., but it's great, you should read it. Um, But he talks about the managerial class, okay? And what, what we can understand about DEI that would help us avoid falling for the name change when they go DEIB or BEID or whatever they're going to change it to is... We have to put a prohibition on especially state-funded political offices. Mm-hmm. That's And there is. That's what it is. It, it, it is a state-funded political office. With, and James Lindsay is calling them com- their commissars. It's, it, it's a Soviet-style ideological enforcement. And understanding that anyone who seeks to reach into your classroom and embed what they're talking about into your subject matter as a teacher or an administrator or anything like that that is it that should be explicitly ripped out and so if there's any office whom that is their only goal then i think legislation can be crafted and to defund those offices on a state level to make them politically or legally illegal you know, sorry, but it's to, to make them illegal to say you cannot push a, an explicit political ideology here. 
And you see that being referenced in all the books and the things that are going on the walls for these equity walks, because mm -hmm. the teachers coming out of the Social Justices College of Education, that's the big issue. It's not going to be in the curriculum. They're too smart for that. It's a personnel issue. And they can take these small little nuggets of things that are implanted into lesson plans and materials and immediately turn those critical, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what DEI is there to push every teacher to do is to say, okay, put on your lenses. Now give them critical race theory. This is praxis the, you know, mm -hmm. put on your lens and teach those kids how to put on their lenses. Yes. That's, See, that's what um, happened to me. It, and yeah. fortunately, it didn't happen to me until college. Um, now it's happening to kids in K through 12. But mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't receive the lens. I didn't get this ideology until um, the, the late 90s when I was at university. And it teaches you, as you said, it is it is a belief system. It is an ideology. Mm -hmm. It says this is the be best way to look at the world. And every day you pick up these glasses these social justice glasses, these DI glasses, and you're looking at the world through this lens that tells you the best way to look at the world is as a competition for power between these competing identity groups. And mm -hmm. we have to redistribute the power so everyone's equal. And and so everything, that's what they're teaching these kids is, is right. as you said, well, put on your glasses. Well, and in, so, you have to do it in order to do good and be good. It's a mm -hmm. weaponization of empathy. Right. Yes. It, they, you, they weaponize empathy against the person because here's the thing. Unreciprocated empathy is not a virtue. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's abuse. You know, it, it, because empathy innately needs to be in good faith. Right. So if I'm giving you empathy and you or I'm, I'm exhibiting empathy towards you. Now, there may be points where you, you need it and I don't. But to say that because of the color of your skin, your your ID, your gender, or whatever it may be, that you deserve empathy and I don't. That's innately inequitable, right? And yes. so that's that's discrimination in practice, and and so it's the 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 way that and then all this gets very complicated, especially when you're talking to parents, right? And I've, and I've learned this over the course of time that you have to not dumb it down, but you have to give them, okay, what do I have to go after? Because I'm working three jobs or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm taking, do, doing actual life here. And I, at one point, trusted my school to impart to my children the basics of life that would make them successful moving forward. Um, that's what I pay tax dollars for, Right. But then they're they're seeing that something's wrong, and but they don't have time like you and I may have sometimes to go in and just okay, I'm gonna read Foucault and I'm gonna read James Lindsay and I'm gonna read all these things. No, if you have a DEI office, it must be removed. If you don't remove it, we're going to be putting out small fires in perpetuity, forever. Right, and it's a business model, you know, and. When we talk about how that relates to universities, so the University of Oklahoma is, unbeknownst to almost anyone, the epicenter for CRT, DEI, professional development in, in the country. Oh, I it didn't run, No, nobody does. It's, it's a very well-kept secret except for the 100,000 diversity officers that are part of this organization. It's called NCORE. Um, N-C-O-R-E is the acronym. Um, and because I'm trying to think of the the actual words that make up that acronym, I can't right now. But uh, It's a bunch of bullshit, at, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so in 2021, for example, they their, their keynote speaker was Kimberly Crenshaw in July of 2021. And But what they do is they run conventions, just like, you know, if you have a teacher's convention, you all get together and you do professional development. Right. And one of the recent professional developments they did was, you know, queer, uh, queer theory in education and its support of white supremacy. Now, imagine that talk just for a second, that intersectional kaleidoscope of, you know, crap that it's almost you can't watch it. But the point of the talk was to influence teachers 
to understand that they are a part of racism and, you know, bigotry against queer people. So therefore embed more of this stuff in your, in your classroom. That's always what it is. Embed more of this in your classroom. Are you doing the work? Are you? Because if you're not, you're not good. And that's all DEI is there to do. It's, it's the it's only very thing. much. It's very much like imagine if uh, if anyone's having trouble grasping this concept of it, it being uh, a commissar or you know a, an office of ideological instruction that does not belong in the classroom. It would be like if there instead of a DEI committee at your school that's that's determining what goes into the curriculum, if you had a Christian committee. Mm-hmm. At a public school, if you had a Muslim, if you had a rel- any other religion or belief system that was there saying everything we teach, including math and science, is going to be through the lens of our belief system. That's yep. what this is. It's right. wrong. Well, and, it, it, and here's the here's the practical aspect of it, too, when you talk about the university. You know, we always talk about the lowering of standards, but the increase in, in, in spread of this encourages a systemic lack of standards because it takes almost no standards to write one of these papers and get published. So what you find is, let me just use music education, for example, right? There's a whole host of actual, I mean, there some of them are great musicians, some of them are not, but there there's this influx of, of scholars in music education that are writing 60, 70, 80 papers a year, you know, doing 60, 70 uh, um, presentations at whatever on these topics. And if you were really, do, I mean, even James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose and Peter Bogosian, when they did the, the hoax papers, right, they still had to take time to write a decent paper at that point. It's It's gone way past that now, yeah. right? Or at least it, you can get these, if you use the right keywords, put them in the right order and then add in your subject matter words. You could just sit and just copy and paste the whole time and get these published. And then all of a sudden at 32 new, new doctorate, you've got 60 published papers and you're getting tenure track instruction um, jobs at universities, usually teaching teachers. And that's what's it. It's creating the systemic takeover that it's claiming to fight you know and that's why and i think we've talked about preemptive narratives before you know like jim crow 2.0 i i I, one of our first like real interactions on twitter was that um talking about that it was you know jim crow when they come out with jim crow 2.0 i mean dei is segregating students in living quarters they're segregating students in the classroom they're segregating people in uh professional development and and you know all the trainings they do that's jim crow 1.0 but then they use this other moniker about um you know id for voting and they say ah jim crow 2.0 so i'm gonna beat this up over and over again my dad used to say you know son you could take your hand and put it on a hot iron just smack it right there it's gonna hurt really really bad but eventually if you do it enough you won't feel it anymore. That's what the goal is. It's like we're gonna act, we're gonna take what could be the most effective uh, slogans against us that would actually describe what we're doing, and we're yes. going to preempt them in yes. the public square, beat them up, and then when you try to use it against us, we're just gonna go. Well, what about ism? Yes. Right. They do this the, and, all the time. I'm so happy you're time. talking about this. They take no. anything that could be used effectively against them and they twist it the same way that an individual who is a narcissist or a psychopath does. That it's it's it, when it's an individual, it's called Darvo. It's a deny and reverse victim order, mm-hmm. and they get mm-hmm. out there ahead of it and they accuse you of everything that they're doing mm-hmm. to you so that when yep. you try to say this person's stalking me, they've already said you're stalking them. It's like, yeah. it's this crazy sort of, ah, the two Spider-Man's fighting, right? They do this on a ideological level and in a, a, a meme level and, and, and with the media. And I'm mm-hmm. so happy you're talking about it. Cause I've seen it. It's not just, not just with the woke stuff, but just political stuff. They'll, they'll yeah. take phrases like, 
when there was a lot of question in the last election over uh, election integrity and people wanted to know, like, we need to do audits. We're not sure if we trust this. And, mm-hmm. and this seems like it might be, I saw people who were questioning the results using the phrase, the big lie. Mm-hmm. And which has a historical context. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Hitler, you know, talked about mm-hmm. if you want to get lots of people to believe a lie, it has to be a big lie. It can't be a small yep. lie. It has to be so big that normal people can't imagine that you would lie about something so big. So mm-hmm. people were saying this. And what did they do? They took it. They yep. took the big lie and they they put it in every. I still see it in the paper. I still see mm-hmm. them calling uh, they flipped it. They said the idea that there was any problems with the election was the big lie. It's like, yeah, th- I see what you're doing here. Well, it's and they reinforced crazy. that with they reinforced that with all the Sidney Powell crap, right? You know, the 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 the, the Times article talking about the fortification of oh, the yes. election. That was the if there was any major attempt to artificially move the election that was it and it was happening years and months before the election and they put that out there so quickly after right it's like you know if i come out there it's like a mea culpa so i got john kennedy on my wall i'm a president nerd so i i got republicans and democrats just so everyone knows but uh, because I, i like to study leadership but he was endeared to the american people after the bay of pigs more than you would think, because he came out and said, you know, it's my fault. Look what I did, you know, or, you know, and, and that was after the fact, but what they've done is kind of taken that, that endearment and said, okay, I'm going to take that. What is actual messing with the outcome of the election through artificial means that have nothing to do with necessarily the voting on the day. Right. I'm talking about, you know, whether you're talking about the New York Post article that they knocked down or, you know, the laws they were changing underneath the whatever. And I'm going to come out and just admit to all that and paint it in a way that is endearing to the people who really like it and like the outcome. Oh, I see. You you see what I'm saying? Fortification. And therefore, it is not illegal. It's not unethical. It's not deception. It's not manipulation. It's virtuous. Yes. Right. They, they get to say, we, we, yes, we did all of that. It's a good yeah. thing. Because yeah. And look, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then later on what they'll say, if, if anyone else tries that, they'll flip it around again. Yeah. And that's, and it's, that's where James and, and, and I credit James for so much because he was doing this when nobody else really was mm-hmm. and, and has just, the sheer amount of hours that he sits down and just talks into a microphone. So you can listen for 45 minutes and, and grab a hold of a nugget of it and really understand, you know, but Marxism is, is an thesis, antithesis, synthesis, right? That's the whole goal. It's, and you can call it like a meta modern. And I studied this in my graduate degree, but it's called oscillation that the truth is never, uh, instead of finding thesis, the thesis is a constant oscillation between the thesis and antithesis. Mm-hmm. So the, the synthesis is that constant. So the truth can never be nailed down. It is as we say it is, and it's what gives us power. That's the only thing that truth is, you know? And so, and that, that's why parents heads spin when, when you're trying to explain this stuff to them and, not that they're stupid because they are absolutely not. They are not stupid. They know something's wrong, but this is designed to keep you off kilter. It and does, it, it uses, it's like judo, yeah. right? So judo, you, it's different than other sports because it uses the person's body against them, right? It uses their momentum against them. It, it's about, it's not about striking. It's about defending and, and, and dispatching. Right. If somebody comes after you, you use the force of them, you grab them and you throw them over your head. Right. So that's kind of what they do to you with your language and just pinpointing it down to, hey, if there's a person there telling your administrators and your teachers that they have to include this in math or history or English or biology or engineering or anything, 
that specific act must be removed. And parents understand that. It's, it's, it, it's something that they can grab a hold of. And it gives you a bureaucratic target. You can target the managerial class in your school. The more administrators there are in your school, the worse off your school is. And that has to be good. And I, that's and I've taught in public, private, college. The more administrators there are, the worse off your school is. <laughs> in my in, in my experience, because it just becomes a micromanaging effect. And that's, that's it's out. It, yeah, go ahead. It's a total bureaucracy. I yep. remember, I don't know what it's at now, but a few years ago, I saw an article about the University of Texas here in Austin and their DEI department was a hundred people, more than a hundred people working for the diversity, inclusion and equity office. Those are mm -hmm. not educators mm -mm. and they're expensive mm -hmm. and they're, they're sucking the blood out of parents, they're sucking the blood out of education. They're they're living off the largesse. There's it, people want to talk about why did education get so expensive? And it's it. Look at how many people are living off of it. Yeah. Who are who yeah. are not teaching your kids anything? Yeah. Well, and that's 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 they are teaching your kids something though. It's just they're doing it by proxy, and and uh, it, that. I, I, I'm getting ready to put out some videos and stuff about how they actually teach people to get DEI jobs because it's, it's basically a leveraging of a, a manufactured problem, right? They never have to justify it. Well, of course there's racism, accept it because there's racism. You need me and I will yes. end your racism, but yes, it can never really be ended. No, so here's then I'm out of here, a job. Right. Well, well, no, but they say it. They said the work never ends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's always more to do because they can move that oscillation from these. It can always change and you cannot question them. So yeah. it's, it's, it's very sneaky, but you can boil it down to very practical matters. But the problem I'm seeing is that you still have the fear factor of whether it's a politician and, and the people take, especially like in a place like Oklahoma, Texas, I think you get, and I think this is true everywhere, but if you have a leader that will be bold and come out and say, no more, you know, we, we're, I'm going after DEI. Just like Rufo did with CRT, which got to the president, he did it and that exploded it because you had the leader come out and say, nope, CRT, it would have been much harder to pejorativize that phrase the way that, that we've been able to do. Um, it's an accurate pejorativization, if that's a word, it but it's, it's, a, it's an accurate moniker. But that would have been much harder to do had we not had the president in the United States, for all of his flaws, sit up there and go, yeah, this is wrong. And he didn't do it because he understood it. He didn't. I mean, when he got the question about it in the debate, it was very, well, you know, da, da, da. but that's not his job as an administrator. You know, or as the top executive, he's used to going, okay, I trust you. You're giving me information. This looks wrong to me. I'm going to bullet point it. Yeah, here's how we get rid of it. Okay, next thing, right? That's a good administrator. But that would have been much harder to do if he wouldn't have done that. So what I'm trying to encourage parents to do is be very pointed about what it is you want to accomplish. And point that at the administrative body who's, who, who it needs to be pointed at. Because uh, recently, our Secretary of Education, his name is Ryan Walters, um, great guy. Met with him a bunch of times. Um, he, was a, they, he was a teacher, teacher of the year, taught for 10 years in Oklahoma schools. Good guy. He recently wrote a column for Fox News. And the, the title of it was, Hey, Teachers, Stop Going Woke. Okay, that's a good message, but it I had an issue with it because it ignores the apparatus that makes the teachers do it in order to put food on their tables, right? And that's I'm telling you at least half. They, there's some uh, that that are true believers, but I really don't think that that's more than 20%. The rest of the us uh, the rest of the teachers just want to be teachers. And so and we've been trained 
over the course. I mean, I've been in education 20 years. <laughs> Professional development is something you endure so you can get back to your classroom. Hmm. Right? Nine times out of 10. Okay. It's something you endure to say, okay, okay, uh, okay. Now can I go teach music? I've got to, I've got to go prep my choir to do contests, right? Teachers, that's most of them, but now they're starting to see that this is more invasive and they don't, they cannot afford to risk their jobs to tell this no when you have an entire apparatus designed to enforce it and make you do it or you'll lose your job. Because that's the other thing about school districts. If they want you gone, they will find a reason for you to be gone. They'll invent it. They'll, they'll put you in situations. And this is predating even critical theory in flex, but the, you'll, you'll see it's like, Oh, well, he's not really doing this. You know, we're going to really watch him and any tiny mistake he makes or she makes or whomever we're going to, you know, write you up for that. Right. And so, and then enough of those, they've got the documentation needed in a right to work state, at least to dismiss you. Right. They're doing that with, with, Teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, I know three that were Oklahoma State Teachers of the Year, that at the very last two years of their, or at least for their districts, they, they were Teachers of the Year, but uh, one was the actual State Teacher of the Year. But in the very last two years, you know, they're towards the end of retirement, they're getting put on, you know, re, you know plans to, you know, remediate their teaching in the classroom because they aren't teaching what the standards are or what... The lesson plans need to say, you know, and so it's an effort to remove those older teachers who actually may have some pull, right, in the in the classroom and and get them out. So, hey, look, there's your example. You know, it's we're... just like with the cops that you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the same Grid. thing. Anyone yeah. who dissents and you're seeing uh, good teachers, good cops, some of them are self-selecting out. They're leaving. Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend, her, a lot are leaving because they can't teach. They're being <laughs> expected to become preachers, social justice preachers in the classroom, giving this moral, it, it, it's not moral, but it, it's a kind of moral instruction yeah. and mm -hmm. this belief system. And, and I have a friend here, her, her brother taught Texas history his whole life. Excellent teacher. He had to leave. He wasn't allowed to teach it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, it's become so invasive. So, when well, you give parents, no, 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 no. You finish. When well, you give when parents, you give you give parents, you're you're trying to give them some very specific, pointed, concise things to do. And so one of those is to say, if you have a DEI committee in your school, you have to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, that's, and it's not just go. committees. Yeah. Th these are these are entire funded offices, just like at UT, just like at OU. You know, mm -hmm. literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of salaries. You know going just to enforce the ideology. So I think what's hard to pinpoint this is that it's like whack-a-mole. Well, then let's get a big hammer and whack the whole mole. You know what I mean? And that's the apparatus. If you had, uh, when Ryan Walter said, hey, teachers, quit going woke. Good message. But how about officials take your considerable, you know, bully pulpit and point it at the administrative apparatus that, uh, doesn't have free speech protection because you're talking about schools, right? And doesn't instruct, but intimidates and discriminates in an effort to create anti-racist policies and then enforce them, right? And anti-racist being, you know, redistribution based on, you know, by discrimination, whether that is. So my message is defund DEI, remove those offices and we will, be, I think we'll be more than halfway towards our goal. And then understand that, yes, they will change their name. But if you outline in a bill, right, okay, any office that whose job it is explicitly to Im embed any ideology into each specific subject cannot be in, a, in our school district, cannot be in our state schools, you know, mm -hmm. and... But here's the other issue with that. And this is why I, I'm concerned. I've done a lot of research. And Texas and Oklahoma, you know Richard Lowry? 
I don't. Uh, he's the UT professor. Um, Chris Rufo tweeted him out, uh, basically called out. Uh, he's at UT and, and basically called out during a Zoom meeting about DEI and basically said to the administrators, this is crap. I mean, he's he's an awesome guy and he's based as all hell. Okay. I mean, he's I should know he's him. Fearless. Yes, you should know him. You should get uh, him on your show because he is fearless. He's tenured, so that helps. Um, uh, but uh, we've been talking back and forth. There is a lot of money in these diversity programs. And there are a lot of conservatives who claim to be against it that are profiting off of it. Of course. Yes. And my message, if I have any to those who may be doing that, is performative opposition is, is, is no opposition at all. If you're going to come out and, you know, oh, well, look, we signed a bill but we aren't enforcing it because the people you're appointing to actually enforce these things, because that's the thing that people don't understand too. And this goes at schools as well. There's the law. They make it at the legislative level. The governor signs it, but the enforcement of the law is in public policy. And that is run by people appointed by these people. So these appointments, whether you're talking about your boards of regents, your university presidents, your DEI officers, your uh, you know Title IX officers, all of these things, they are actually doing the job of of wrapping the public around what the laws say to do. A law is no good if it's not enforced, hmm. or it can be very bad if it's enforced the wrong way. You know what I mean? And so understanding that even your conservative politicians use that, you can call it the swamp, you can call it the managerial class, you can call it bureaucracy, it's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. They just look at them and go, well, you know, it's, it's the, look at those bad people in these bad offices. Well, why are you appointing people to the OU Board of Regents, who's who are running companies, whose job and is making money off of this stuff spreading throughout the schools, you just put somebody in charge of a that that cannot be removed except you know after you appoint them right or fired and the 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 public's not going to look at them, they're just mm -hmm. going to be now under the radar. They're actually doing the job, and you're claiming to be against this stuff but you appointed this person who's going to enforce the exact opposite of what you claim to be against. It's, it's just, it's infuriating. And that's been what I'm also trying to get parents to understand is the devil is in the details and it's always a personnel issue. Hmm. It's always a personnel issue. So go to your secretary of education and say, yes, teachers will stop going woke when you give them the cover to do it. When you say, nope, I'm going after that administrator who's making you do this. I'm going after the office that houses that administrator and funds that administrator to do this. If the governor would come out and do that tomorrow, I'm against DEI, defund DEI. You would see this massive wave of people just go, you know, yes, they would rally around it. You know, instead of me sitting out here and like the voice in the wilderness going, guys, school choice is great. It's a good idea. Okay, and, and I, I understand the soundness behind it, but you selling it as a fix for this is you're, you're misdiagnosing and it's not going to be a fix. And then you're still going to have this apparatus. And I know I jumped around a lot there, but no, but I think it, you're, I'm thinking of if they were to defund D, DI, so you get the secretary of education to say. We're against mm -hmm. this. This is racist. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's mm -hmm. my advice for parents when you're talking about it. If you go to your school board or whatever, if you're trying to get to root out DEI out of your school, your school district, the, the all you need to say is this is a racist ideology and we should not yeah. be teaching it to kids. We are teaching kids to judge and treat each other differently on the basis of race and sex and sexuality, and they should not be doing that. That's immoral. We're not teaching this. So that's it. 
But yeah. but if they're going and trying to do that, let's say what you said happens, you have a governor or secretary of education who says, we're doing it, we're defunding it, we're getting rid of all these different DI offices, these boards, you know, these departments. Um, it makes me think of ticks falling off of a dog's body. Do you ever see one of those? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I grew up in the woods. We yep. Those big mama ticks, you big. sometimes have to put a lighter on it to get them to let uh -huh. go and release. Yep. It's like all of these, yep. they just are suck again, sucking the blood mm -hmm. yep. of, of students, of education, of all the money mm -hmm. that their parents are pouring in. So And of the subject matter. Yep. <laughs> I mean, everything. It's just, everything. it's infest. I'm sorry I gave the technology. That's disgusting. No, I think no, but it, <laughs> it, it, it's symbiotic because uh, just think of, I, I like to use the New York Times example of what you're talking about. The New York Times has always been left-leaning, but it had such a stellar reputation that it is, it's the perfect example of the, what DEI or the woke ideology is designed to do. Because now if you really read the New York Times, it has n no actual credibility or not. Uh, I mean, when you have Barry Weiss leave the New York Times, okay, and for the reason she did, how she did, and then you go back and actually read what was happening, especially during that point, during right after George Floyd and, and, and all of that, it's credibility shot. But what it did was it took over the host. Yes. Right? It, it, it left the walls intact, but it took over that systemic reputation. And it's weaponized. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it, it's parasitic ideology. And it, it demands that you don't think for yourself mm -hmm. yeah. in order to be good. And so, and, and religions have done that all over the place. And, and uh, whether it's Christianity or, or you know, Islam or any, it, everything can be weaponized that way. But this has no virtue to it. Like, you know, Christianity has a virtue to it that actually lines up with Islam in many different ways or Buddhist or Buddhism. All, I think Jonathan Haidt talks about ancient wisdoms a lot and you can do a lot to source what is a true wisdom and what is actually true in nature and humanity, right? By saying, okay, well, what did Buddhism say that agrees with Christianity that agrees exactly. with Islam that, that agrees with, and I'm not saying you have to be, uh, you know, accepting of all faiths. I'm personally a Christian and I believe that what I believe is a Christian, but I can recognize the same wisdom coming. You from, can see where things overlap. Yes. Right. This ideology has none of that. It has no, nothing in common. In it's theory. inverted. It's yes. completely inverted. Yeah. It has nothing in common. And so if, uh, and I kind of forgot where I was going with this, but I, the, 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 You're saying the, it's parasitic in some religions. Yes, it's, it's parasitic. Well. And, and yeah, and just like you said, if you don't, if it functions as a religion and a moral code, then you cannot have an office to enforce it. Yes. Especially a taxpayer funded one. And I talked to James about this a lot. And he came out and said it uh, just recently in some of his podcasts. But I think this has all of the. Uh, aspects of a religion and could be classified as one. And if we did that, then you you have the atheist model that was weaponized in the 60s to remove Christianity from schools and from, from the public square. Why not use that against them? You know what I mean? Because it's like, and I think you could say that, okay, just like you had mentioned a little bit ago, you can't have a, you know, an office of, of Christianity, you know, um, and dogma and doctrine, mm -hmm. right? You can't do that. Right. Well, you can't do it for Marxism either. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it for diversity either. But they've they've really they're really crafty. Well, it's not a religion. It doesn't, you know, it's just you have to be yeah. do it to be good. It's really crafty. <laughs> so, yeah. I was, the, other... I was fooled for so long. I mean, I would say it's not too late to leave. I was in it for two decades. Anybody yeah. can come out of it. Well, not the ones who are in, in bad faith, maybe. They'll only come out if the money and the power, it, they get. They can get it somewhere else. <laughs> but, and that's, that's ultimately what ticks me off about a lot of the Republicans and the conservatives, because they see green. And they are of the mind that a rising tide lifts all ships. I've heard this over and over again. The pendulum will swing back. And it's like... Um, this rising tide is going to overtake you. Yeah. 
because it's designed to turn your pendulum into a ratchet and put a weight on your back and sink you underneath the wave, you know, so to, yeah. to take it, but it, that's, and, and people that are in power right now, your, your older Gen Xers and your younger boomers and, and those, they're stuck in this nineties kind of early two thousands mindset of yes. we can spend our way out of this. If we make enough money while this is happening and take advantage of the crisis, the free market will eventually work this out. But as Vivek Ramaswamy and James Lindsay and many Glenn Beck and, and all of these others are telling you this ESG model, we don't need to go into this, but this is funding this movement in education and it's designed to break the free market. It's already doing yes. it. it and do it. so you cannot rely on a free market to save you if the market's not free. And that's what I'm telling DEI is doing this in these institutions that set these kinds of things up like ESG and, and the, the equity funds and all of that. If it were not for the, the work of DEI in all of these places, the funding for this would not be there. So it's like a circle. It just, it just yeah. feeds itself. That's what they mean when they talk about sustainability. It's like theory, praxis, funding. Theory, praxis, funding. Theory, praxis, funding, and it just keeps going and going and going, and until you're you're overtaken by it. So, I honestly believe, if we defunded DEI, all the ticks would fall off. Yeah, <laughs> it just use your thing. Put the, if we, the lighter on it. Yep, exactly. So, let me ask you, Mark. I know I don't have you yeah. for long. Yeah. How, what is it? I always am curious about this. What is it about you? You think that helps you to see through this ideology for what it really is music how do you mean what why do you know do you know the words of god bless america yes do you know the words to my country tis of thee mm -hmm. sweet land of liberty right why do you know those words Repet repetition in childhood from your childhood the God gave us music so we can pray without words. It's a quote, one of my favorite quotes. I'm a choir director, so I get to use the music and the words, right? What you sing helps shape who you are. You and I were raised to believe after the civil rights movement. I'm, you know, I'm born in 84, right? Uh, and, 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 we're, we're, I was born in, in an era where it was accepted that being racist is wrong and discrimination is racism in action. And to look at somebody and judge them by the color of their skin is the wrong. And I learned that because of my country, Tis of Day, because of, you know, I learned that because of music. And this is what I also trying to get people to understand because music is such a power jordan peterson just talked about it it's such a powerful force because it it speaks to the soul regardless of the language you speak yes like and if coach. that is if that is weaponized with words and images and and ideology against the person who's singing it in their mind it will never leave them and so unlike us, the only reason we're fighting back right now is because of the songs we sing, because of the, 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 the things we learn from zero to six, from, from, you know, 10 to 14 to all, it becomes imbued in a, in a, in a, like a swirl. You ever seen like ice cream, right? The fudge, it, it, you can't remove it. I'm sorry, I'm a little hungry, but, but, but you cannot <laughs> remove it. And, and what really tipped me off on it was when you know i was in i was in a class called uh the um 20 music theory pedagogy in the 21st century and the lecture of the, of the first class was basically that music theory is white supremacist it's what it's white supremacy in action and as an example you know he uses several different things but he demeaned the very basis of the songs that I had been taught, not just 
through my studies, but but when I was a child that I know are virtuous, yeah. that hold a human love message throughout them. And you're using an anti-contextual, anti-factual, anti-rational, anti-racist lens to impugn generations and centuries of the beauty of the universal language. Yeah. So my music education is largely gone and this and and it's being weaponized against our children and against society and the kids that are being taught this in schools right now will not have the basis you and I do they won't have the my country tis of thee they don't they won't have those things which means people have to understand that this battle isn't about today it's about 20 years from now yes because they're, these kids are being taught that in order to do good and be good, they must vote. And so it's like I told a, a, an elder leader around, around here the other day, it was kind of a tense conversation, but I said to him, I said, in seven years, either you will be gone or your generation will lose its power in the voting block. And the, it's not going to be the millennials or the older Gen Xers that take over that. It's going to be the 20 to 27 year olds that have now been trained up in this because it, they've been, they will vote at every level. They will come out every time because it's like going to church. Yes. The tithe is in the ba ballot box. The, the anti-racist CRT DEI tithe is in the ballot box. You, you implant it and that is your contrition. And, and it only lasts for a while, but that's it. And that's, that means that that apparatus is going to outvote you in seven years. And all the stuff you're trying to do right now, with it, whether it's school choice or whatever, if you don't attack the apparatus, we're running out of time. So that's how, that's how I came about this, was understanding that this ideology is perverting the universal language. Yes. And it's, it's, re, it's, re, it's redefining morality on a musical level. And you see that throughout the Soviet. I don't want to go into all, but it, yes, it's a travesty and it's it's heartbreaking. I because music you. saved my life. I'm so life. glad that you talked about this. And no. yeah, and I, you're right. It's it's a uh, it's that verse: those who speak evil for good and good for evil. That's it's everything is flipped. It's taking something beautiful and pure and joyful. And perversion is the right word, turning it upside down, sucking what makes it delightful out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sucking out that that our common humanity, the things that bring us together, and replacing it with this divisive, no, it's your, whatever identity groups you're in, that's what matters. We're going to make new songs about this, about oppression. <laughs> like, yeah. no. Um, Mark. It's. Well, let's. Sorry. I, I, yeah, yeah, no, I, I it, you're, you're right. And I, we, parents, don't be afraid. There are, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Yes. Because if you stand up and you point your, your courage is not the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of it. So be courageous, be bold, and point it at, at, at the right direction. And you can't be stopped. Mothers and fathers will save the country. So. I 100% agree. Thank you, sir. It's it, it's not the absence of fear. It's overcoming it. You're going to have that fear. Yeah. It's normal. Overcome yeah. it. It's important. Yeah. Your kids are important. The future is important. Mark, yeah. I want to talk to you again when yeah. we're both, uh, we're not so crunched for time. I so appreciate yeah. you coming by. Can you just tell people if they want to talk to you, if they have questions, if they want to find out more, where can they find you online? Um, I, My Twitter handle is uh, at acts against crt that's acs against crt all one word um and i have a substack at uh, unwokable.substack.com and i have a youtube channel which is just unwokable uh and you can find me there uh, and i do a lot of local things but i'm, I'm starting to branch out now so mm -hmm. yeah so oklahoma people definitely hit him up but everyone yes else please too. 
And we'll yeah. put all of that in the description below the video. So if you're here watching this on YouTube or wherever you're watching it, you should be able to get that information below. Thank you, Mark. Thank Have a nice you, day. Very nice right. to finally talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Cool.